last industrial revolution probably unfolded over kind of like 100 years. I think that the speed at which generative AI will usher in a new set of outcomes which mirrors the kind of disruption that we felt throughout the last industrial revolution, I don't think it's a 100-year timeline. I think it's a 15-year timeline. We're excited to chat today with Tom Graham, who's the co-founder of Metaphysic, a generative AI company that is the world leader in AI-generated content that looks real. Tom, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I wanted to start by learning a little bit more about Metaphysic. What motivated you into co-founding the company? And can you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing? Absolutely. So Metaphysic, we focus on creating photorealistic AI-generated content, you know, that looks exactly like the real world, like it was shot with a video camera. And so that's really, really difficult to do because you're producing those pixels with algorithms. It's generative AI. But before that, you know, it was called deepfakes and synthetic media. Um, so we really focus on doing this um, not just for some entertainment use cases like movies or commercials, um, or AI-generated concerts for music artists. We focus on building the technology so that we can scale this to everybody on Earth. Because ultimately, 10 years from now, um, or even closer, I believe that more than 90% of all of the content that everybody on Earth looks at on their telephones will be AI-generated pixels. And this will be generative AI. And so how do you bring regular people into content? How do you create content that's meaningful and interesting and relevant? Um, and how do you make it so that it looks realistic and it doesn't look kind of like a, a meme cartoon? Um, that's all of the work that we do on the research, technology, development side. Um, on top of that, we also make some of the world's most interesting AI-generated content. That's so cool. And I guess I'm so curious on your view of the relationship between humanity and technology. Yeah, so some really interesting things begin to happen if you can use technology to create a version of reality that happens on a screen that is indistinguishable from reality that happens out there in the world. So, you know, we live our lives and we live in reality and we can capture that reality with a camera, right? And it, we know that we're looking at a video and we think that it's an accurate representation of what happened in the real world. So, you know, what happened in that video is reality. But now we can create stuff that looks like a video, that looks perfectly real, but that never happened in reality. And so, you know, we can do VFX and um, put things in movies, but it's, there's a high barrier to entry. It never looks necessarily realistic. There's a lot of uncanny valley. But today with generative AI technologies, exactly what we build, you can increasingly create a version of reality that never happened. And it lives as reality in people's minds because... Um, it's so immersive and it looks exactly like the real world. So with that comes a lot of responsibility. Um, and that's why at Metaphysic, you know, we are technologists, we are creators, but we also laser focused on the ethics um, of how to move this technology into society in a way that first and foremost puts individuals at the centre of a technology, puts real people at the centre of a technology, but also empowers those people to control the means of production and the final outcomes of content generated with AI that features real people, so your real voice, your face, your biometric data, but muscles also feature your private spaces, your house, your private experiences, events in your life. I think in the future, companies are going to use us and the events from our lives 
and our family and our houses to create content and feed it back to us? How do we have individuals at the very, very centre of controlling and consenting to exactly how that happens? I think that's a really important question. Absolutely. I mean, everything you're describing right now is just giving very much uh, Joan is awful from Black Mirror. Um, and we'll get into the sort of ownership of this in a little bit. But I wanted to talk briefly just on how you're training these AI models. So if you could help us just understand the relationship between data and output for generative AI. I think that one thing that's come out of the first generative AI revolution is that this set of ideas around, well, we take a huge amount of data, we train it into a giant algorithm, and that algorithm can now create content like a stable diffusion algorithm or an LLM, but we don't really know what it's going to output. So it's a cat in a hat, but we don't know what the cat looks like. Or maybe ChatGPT hallucinates 30% of the time and just kind of makes things up which aren't real. If you're trying to create a perfect version of a human, like an actor that we're all familiar with, you have to get it perfectly right, even like one-tenth of a degree, uh, one-tenth of a percent off, and it's going to look uncanny. It's going to freak people out. It's not going to look real. But we're talking about, you know, some of these generative AI algorithms producing content that's like 30% hallucination rate. So obviously we need to do something different if we want to create kind of a realistic version of things for people. And what that means is that there is a tremendous amount of work that has to be done in the data set that you put into the algorithms. The algorithms are really important, but increasingly the data that goes in to make the content come out the other side to look realistic, the data set has to be very, very, very precise. Um, and a lot of work has to go into that. Um, but that's a totally different way of thinking than just let's put 5 billion images. We don't even know what are in those images, right? Into the stable diffusion engine. Turns out one in 10,000 is child pornography in that data set, right? And so we don't even know what's in there. And then we just get something out. To recreate somebody's face, in the case of a famous actor, first, it's important that that actor owns and controls the data used. But then you might have to do a specialist scan in a studio to create the large specific data set, which becomes the basis for your refined data set that's precision designed for that algorithm that you feed into the algorithm to get out the good quality, realistic looking content. So it's a different way of thinking about it than the, say, the ways some people have thought about the first generation of building content with algorithms. That's so fascinating. And I guess then leading into that, how do you approach then training these AI models in your work at Metaphysic, you know, especially given the ongoing conversation around intellectual property and how it relates to training these algorithms? Do you think that we're going to start to see more rigorous standards for what AI models can be trained with? Like that, the idea of using child pornography at all in training these models is horrifying. So I'm sure that there's already being work done to combat that. But just how are you approaching it in your work? Yeah, so I think that there are some normative stances that we can all settle upon. I think that if you're going to create a photorealistic version of somebody doing and saying something that they never did in the real world, then you need their consent to do that. I don't think that there is a fair use or a public utility kind of rationale to be able to take someone's likeness, how they sound, how they look exactly, right? Not a cartoon version, not a caricature, not a you know, um, adjusted version, a stylized version, but exactly how they look. I think that you shouldn't ever really be able to do that without consent. But that is very, very different than ways in which people think about 
um, building products on top of this technology today. But it kind of mirrors how we exist in the real world. Like if I don't want to be on camera, I just move off camera. I control my body. Um, and that's one of the core tenets of Western liberal democracy and the societies in which we largely live is that we have corporeal control and control over who we are in our body and what we do. So if you have a version of reality that exists in a digital space but is indistinguishable from a real world, but suddenly you don't control your body and your actions and people are puppet mastering you without your consent, it automatically feels weird and strange to people. Obviously, there are really important First Amendment democratic norms around speaking truth to power, political comedy, political parody, right, where you can use someone's likeness for a fair use um, or good in a way that has a positive social benefit um, to make fun of politicians or speak truth to power, right? But I don't think that that necessarily should extend to creating a perfect version of somebody where even their parents or their children couldn't tell the difference between whether it's really them or not. There's a lot to unpack because really we've never been able to do this at scale before with technology and that this is creating a version of reality that is not what happened in the real world. Absolutely. And there's so much power, I think, in just understanding that this is, you know, a digital version of reality. It's separate from what we've lived in our own lives, but that doesn't make it necessarily distinguishable from that. So I guess, how do you see this technology going on to empower creators? And what's your hope for people who are using Metaphysic to create AI-generated content? Recently, we launched Metaphysic Pro, which is kind of our data platform, which you know, we use versions of internally to manage the data assets, which we use to train models. But I think that it's important for today, um, celebrities, sports people, people with high value IP, but then tomorrow, regular people like you and me, to own and control the data sets, the scans of our faces, the video that can be of our faces, the audio recordings of our voices that can be used to create a perfect version of us. Because if you have a high-quality studio scan done of you, say you're an actor for a movie, that scan, the content of it, might be sent to a VFX shop and then to somebody else. And then one of those place things gets bought. And then that scan is just floating around out there. But in the future of generative AI, you only need that scan to recreate a perfect version of that person and their performance in the future. And that scan is persistent. You know, the data in it, the images or the audio files, um, lasts forever. And the algorithms just get better and better and better. So I think it's really important for everybody to have a strategy to think about safeguarding the amount of data they put out into the world. And this is high quality data that's used to create generative AI algorithms and to begin to build a portfolio of these valuable assets for people with high value IP um, or even for companies which own lots of characters. You know, the data around each one of those characters is super valuable IP. And they're not necessarily collecting it in a way that is good for generative AI in the future. But just any movement towards people caring about the data they put out into the universe so that we can be more proactive as individuals to protect ourselves in the future where other people are using that data to create versions of us, high value IP holders, celebrities, or regular people both. Everybody should be just a little bit more conscious and increasingly aware of what can happen in the future. 
Absolutely. And I'm glad that you brought up Metaphysic Pro because I was about to. And for our audience, just to be aware that this is a new tool that allows performers to create their own photorealistic AI likeness and voice model and then personally register the copyright of that image with the U.S. Copyright Office. So a few questions here on that. I guess, really, can you speak to the importance of owning your own IP in this space? And on a personal level, you were the first person to submit your own copyright registration for your own AI likeness with the U.S. Copyright Office. So I'd love to hear you talk about your process there. Yes, absolutely. So Metaphysic Pro has kind of two elements. The most important one is that it can help people or IP holders build a valuable portfolio of these data assets and coordinate and structure how they are licensed to people and how they move around the world. That's the first layer of kind of protection and the most important strategy for people to have. A second layer is, you know, beyond future-proofing future performance and building up that set of assets, how can you help protect your likeness or the AI version of your likeness? So one thing that we've been working on on that side is, are there a set of property rights that you can get in the AI version of yourself. Your AI character just happens to look exactly like you, exactly like real life. And to that end, uh, we kind of developed a process where we can help people quickly create a photorealistic AI character of themselves or their voice, an AI version of their voice. And the idea is that if you can own and then register the copyright in the AI character of yourself, if somebody else creates an unauthorized deepfake that looks exactly like you and posts it online, can you say to the platform that hosts that content, hey, this unauthorized deepfake is infringing my IP and infringing my copyright, thus I'm going to use a conventional takedown method to try to get that deepfake taken down from platforms. That's the goal. But it is a form of legal activism because we're really pushing the boundaries of what's possible in terms of conventional legal frameworks in the face of like rapidly developing and emergent technology. You know, three months ago or so, I created the AI version of myself. We filed a registration of that with the US Copyright Office in my name, me personally. So I own the copyright already because I created the thing. And then I want to register it. And I want to register it because I want access to 24-hour takedowns, which is the real teeth of getting something taken down from the internet. Your copyright needs to be registered. And so... Um, we are waiting to hear back from the U.S. Copyright Office. In the past, the U.S. Copyright Office has suggested that you can't copyright the output of generative AI models. But um, when you really look into what they're saying is that if you put a whole bunch of data into an AI model and you don't know what the outcome is going to look like, then if you prompt that with create me an image of a cat in a hat, you don't really know what type of hat and you don't know what type of cat. So you don't have sufficient control or authorship over that actual image for you, the person doing the prompting, to get copyright over that image. So we designed this process in response to some of those circulars, basically to ensure that there is significant human effort, control and authorship injected in all of the elements of how you create an AI version of yourself that is photorealistic. So from how you create the data, gather the data, refine the data, train the model, look at the outcome, how that outcome is auto-comped into the background of a video to make the AI version of yourself in a video. All of those processes, it's really important that the amount of human effort put into that is exactly the same as creating a version of Mickey Mouse with Photoshop or creating any kind of character with any kind of digital technology. So 
it's an interesting space. I think it's one of those ones where um, the law will develop in certain ways um, through what the Copyright Office is, through case law, then through legislation and regulators. And at every point along the way, we will be trying to push things forward in a direction that empowers individuals to have the most rights that they can get in the AI version of themselves. And ultimately, the set of rights that you want is to own something as property, because lots of things flow from owning IP, lots of remedies, rather than, say, having a contract with a company. Like Jonah Zorfel, you mentioned before, the premise is that um, you sign away the rights to your face and likeness through the terms of service when you sign up to the Netflix equivalent kind of platform. That's a danger for the future because today already we sign over lots of our data, our cookie data, tracking data to big companies and they own it fundamentally as soon as we use their services. So I think we've got to make sure that that doesn't happen to our faces, our voices, who we are as people. And that's the meme of it all is, you know, who's really reading the terms and conditions? And I think for something like this, that is a particularly dangerous area in which to not really be reading the terms and conditions. But sort of moving from that point, interestingly, you were also trained as a lawyer. So I'm curious what you're keeping your eye on from a regulatory standpoint and how that experience has really informed the way that you view the work that you're doing. Yes. So... As an academic lawyer um, focused on internet and society-like issues, that's kind of my basis for coming to this space. And then for the last 10 years, I've been an entrepreneur in big data, AI. So the confluence of these two different things makes for, you know, today being a very interesting space in terms of what's happening with generative AI. I think that if we're looking towards the future, and we'll start with the most distant away future, I think that our biometric data, who we are, the ability to recreate us will be highly regulated. I don't believe that governments should or are willing to give up a franchise over regulating identity like we do with passports and driver's license. I don't think they're going to give that up to private companies. I don't think they should, right? Regulation will in some way standardise digital identities in the way that it standardises and manages physical identities. It takes a long time to do that. I think the courts ultimately in the shorter term will give more rights to copyright holders when it comes to how their data is used to train models and compensation and consent issues around how people's works are used by companies, primarily for commercial purposes, to create new works with generative AI based on the copyrighted work that's in the training data set. I think that's a big trend that will happen. And then I think that there are things like what we're trying to do to fit generative AI issues into conventional legal frameworks, like the copyright thing that I described. Um, And then I think there's probably interesting things, um, you know, to keep an eye on what happens in the EU, very forward, um, very interested in protecting individuals and consumers. Um, GDPR is a good example of that. Some of this stuff might be personally identifiable information, some of this data under GDPR. So that's interesting. And then on top of that, individual US states like California have latitude to be quite proactive in bringing things to the floor in terms of bills and legislation where it's not possible to do it at a federal level, et cetera, in the US, but it still can be highly effective. So yeah, lots and lots of interesting things happening on the legal front. So fascinating. And we'll really just have to see how it all unfolds, especially as you mentioned with there are certainly a lot of case studies being created right now with Sarah Silverman's lawsuit against OpenAI for using her material to train their model and all that stuff. So we'll just have to keep an eye on that. 
But interestingly, you've also made some pretty powerful inroads in Hollywood already, partnering with CAA and with Miramax, and then also with some celebrities themselves on creating their own hyper-realistic images so that they can own those for themselves. Can you talk a little bit about these partnerships and some of the use cases of AI in Hollywood so far? Yeah, so I think that, say, from a metaphysic pro angle, it's most important to empower the individual to fundamentally own, say, that data and manage it themselves. Um, it can be delegated, but we definitely partner directly with the IP holders themselves. That's really, really important on that front. In terms of Hollywood projects and where a lot of this um, technology is being used, it's at the cutting edge of film creation, um, content creation. Hollywood films have large budgets for VFX. So it comes out of that world where generative AI models can be a way of creating more realistic or more natural-like performance where sometimes CGI and VFX is a little bit uncanny and strange. So there are applications there. What we focus on particularly is enhancing performers' actual performance. So in the case of one of the upcoming films with Tom Hanks, um, directed by Bob Zemeckis, also has Robin Wright in it, we are kind of de-aging Tom Hanks's performance. So his fundamental performance and helping realise the younger version of what that would look like. So I think it's really important in the context of a discussion around AI and Hollywood that we see interesting results from enhancing real humans' performance with AI rather than replacing that human's performance. I would say that from my experience, there's this capricious genius of human performance, which is kind of hard to replicate. And we are a long way away from having a fully generative AI body, performance, face, voice, everything. But changing the face or changing a voice on top of somebody's existing performance is something that the models are really particularly good at today. You see amazing performances from real actors from humans and you see them interact with each other and the performance changes as people are on set together and it develops. I have not seen behaviours like that as an output from generative AI. I haven't seen that really genuinely interesting performance come out of generative AI, but we're talking now obviously about the very high end of amazing performers in Hollywood. I think that there is lots of like corporate explainer videos where you may have an entirely synthetically generated person talking to you, explaining something that doesn't require any specific performance or anything interesting like that. There's probably a large role for AI in doing those types of things in the future. I'm not as concerned in the short or medium term about the ability to recreate, you know, that genius of human performance. How do you view a symbiotic relationship moving forward in the decades to come between creatives and AI technology? And how do you view the role of metaphysic in helping to build that future? Yeah, so we are interested in a future where, as I've been talking about, like regular people are in control of who they are. At the center of that is regular people. We mostly work with celebrities today, but at some point this technology will scale where it impacts every single one of us. That will happen no, no matter what anybody does because obviously this content is very compelling and then if you put a regular person in amazing content, maybe you're up on stage singing along with John Lennon of the Beatles, right? And it's really you and it looks exactly like that. It's very compelling content. Beyond that, you could take your child's first birthday party 
or their first day of school or your wedding or something like that. And if you capture enough data with AI, you could recreate the perfect photorealistic version of that event and you could relive it. You could re-experience it just like the holodeck on Star Trek or something like that. It's obvious that people are going to push this technology to its limit. So we care about building the technologies and doing the public outreach, creating the examples and the demonstrations so that people care more and more about their data because you need the real world data to train the models. And if you own that fundamentally and you care about it, maybe you're less likely to give it away or sign away your rights to it. So really all the technologies that we build are focused on trying to realize that future. It also happens to perfectly align with people who own intellectual property today. An actor, they own their face and their performance and their voice. Someone like uh, Drake had that fake song created of him, but he didn't have any rights to get it taken down because he doesn't own how his voice sounds. But that doesn't feel necessarily right. It's, you know, it feels like a little bit like a, a legal loophole. It feels a little bit weird. So trying to build systems to empower individuals, high value IP holder or regular person, in context of the technology moving forward regardless, and we are moving that technology forward, that's a, one of the core things that we do. That is, you know, what we focus on. It's not just like entertainment or periphery stuff that is at stake here. It's kind of all human knowledge and history and what we value and what we care about as a society. Because ultimately, I think, you know, 10 years from now, children in class, they're going to be sitting in history class in high school, in middle school, and they're going to be reading about something that happened just like we did, a paragraph that describes the Roman Empire or something like that, Julius Caesar. But then in that same history class, there might be, well, let's learn about Biden's inauguration as president. And there's enough footage of that from all different angles to use that data in an AI model to recreate a perfect version of that where the students can immerse themselves in that historical setting and they can talk to the different people and they can walk around the stage where he's giving a speech and they can be in the historical moment. That, I believe, is how people are going to learn about history and about knowledge and about all the different things. And so whoever controls the data that is used to create those experiences, whoever has that database, whatever central authority controls that, has a tremendous amount of power for how we pass on knowledge and create experiences, not just at like the public school level, but who controls the data from my wedding, from my kid's first birthday party, et cetera. Can they replace all of the beer bottles on the table at the wedding reception with Heineken? You could do that. It's trivial to do in the data set if you control it. But is it the version of reality? Is it actually what happened? And as a society, we care about actually what happened. We care about truth. And so that in the future, I think it's going to be crazy important. Whoever controls the data is going to have a near complete franchise over what we as humans, as humanity, believe to be true, what our history is, what we value. I think the fix is that we should have lots and lots of different versions of this data and individuals should maybe own and control it so that they can be agents in whether it's true or not. I think one centralised version or outsourcing the custodianship of this data to a large for-profit corporation or a few, a small number of for-profit corporations is potentially dangerous. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd love to hear your words, your message for creatives and 
general people who are worried about the impact of AI? Something that really scares me, not about generative AI for entertainment, but about, say, the AI movement, this set of technologies for the entire society, right, is that the last industrial revolution that moved across the Western world and into the, the rest of the world basically probably unfolded over kind of like 100 years. We went from living in small villages to working in factories in large towns in kind of Dickensian London to more modern versions of industrialized nations, knowledge economies today. But it took a long time. I think that the speed at which generative AI will usher in a new set of outcomes which mirrors the kind of disruption that we felt throughout the last industrial revolution, I don't think it's a 100-year timeline. I think it's a 15-year timeline. The problem there, I feel, is that over 100 years, through multiple generations, humans forget a lot. They adapt very quickly. We can structure our lives. If we live for 80, 90 years, we can structure our lives differently over that time frame to accommodate rapid change. Can we do that over 10 years, 15 years, even 20 years? It's not clear. So I think that there are going to be large changes to all elements of the knowledge economy, other industries, all the way up and down, which will impact pretty much everybody in society. And I believe that that impact will be quite profound. I do not know what it will look like. And it will definitely be variable in different industries in different places around the world, but it will almost certainly be quite fast. You combine that with environmental changes, other things which are impacting our economy and the way in which we produce things and live. I think it is going to be a very chaotic period of time. But as humans, we are very, very good at adapting and building new things. So even across that 15, 20-year timescale, I think that we will be able to leverage the benefits of generative AI to create incredible new things that we couldn't predict right now, which increase our quality of life, which increase outcomes for people, which maybe provide soft landings in different industries. We'll create new industries entirely that can absorb some of the change and impact from other societies, other industries which are impacted. So I also don't know what that will look like. But from this technology comes a tremendous capacity to do new and interesting things which are positive for humans. As individuals, as society, if you look at its impact on medicine, in the last couple of years, using tools like generative AI tools in medicine have moved medical science tremendously. That is to the benefit of real people. So I think it is uh, ultimately a mixed bag um, and one that we are kind of stuck with because I don't think there is a way to put the genie back in the bottle, even with different types of regulation. People will continue to develop these technologies and economies will continue to tend towards the most efficient way of doing things. Yes, I don't know if there's a final word on that apart from... Enjoy the ride. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. We are at a very fascinating inflection point. And I think it's very important then for us to just be aware of the power of the collective and to be aware of our own human right to own this data and to move the conversation forward in a way that feels empowering for everybody. And how we get there, I think, is a question for everybody. But I think having the right intentions is maybe the best we can do for the present moment. So hopefully that will just bring us to the right place eventually. I have one last question for you and then we'll let you go. 
just specifically in terms of the media landscape and content creation. How do you think that's going to look in the next five to 10 years? I think that, say 10 years from now, 90% of all of the content that we look at and consume will be largely AI-generated pixels. And so you could imagine that we could have a Zoom call where it's just fed with audio, but the visuals are created with generative AI, but it looks exactly perfectly like me. And maybe, you know, with the haircut that I really want rather than the just messy get out of bed hair, you could take that version of me and put it into a computer game. Or you could take that version of me and put it into online shopping where I'm actually in the real Gucci store trying on the real Gucci dress and twirling around and looking at different lighting situations. But then I'm wearing the dress and put me in a ballroom context or someone's wedding or something like that so I can see what it looks like in contrast to other people or the dress code or something like that. All of those are examples of high value, really, really rich content featuring regular people that is very, very difficult to create at scale today. But there are obviously better ways of doing what we do today, which is interact through the internet with knowledge or buy things online or interact together online. Generative AI will now enable us to create content that is high value and relevant to consumers, but at a much lower price point, which tends towards real-time generation of that content. And that will enable a whole new category of products, whole new revenue streams for people who create content and own IP, and ultimately put regular people in the position where I hope people who create content will want to partner with regular people um, to use their IP, to bring their experiences to life or to bring those regular people into content experiences. So instead of like having regular people as consumers or economic units, like maybe you do need to like have more of a partnership with that person um, where that person can participate in some of the economics of what happens to that content afterwards. That would be really, really interesting. One thing I can say for sure is that 10 years from now, generative AI will dominate all the different ways in which we interact with content and each other. Whether we'll get to different economic models of how companies interact with regular people and whether regular people can be more empowered than they are in the web 2.0 version of our economy, I'm not sure. And I think there'll be various competing ways of doing this, business models, et cetera, in the future. Well, it's been so fascinating to hear your perspectives on all of this. And we're wishing you the best of luck at Metaphysic. We're excited to see how this continues to develop. And just thank you again for lending us your insights and spending some time with us to talk about it today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend and feel free to rate and review it wherever you're listening. Stay tuned for more Kindred Cast conversations from leaders in business and beyond. Thank you.